Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. Good to see you, as always, sir. Especially good to see you for one of our special news update episodes. These are becoming... In, people are really enjoying these ones. It's, a, it's a kind of a quick digest of what's happening across the market on a semi-regular monthly basis. It makes me feel like well, I was going to choose a, a sport. But actually, it works in both in both languages, American and British English. But it makes me feel like a football pundit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After a game, it's like, yeah, well, we saw the plays that they were doing there, and some umpires did some strange like flag throwing, which is apparently a thing, yeah. and we were all confused and. And then card holding, flag throwing, it's all manner of yeah. theatrics. But it's funny, <laughs> it's, that's actually a really good analogy battle just to kick off the show. Um, but in just like in sports pun, punditry, we're going for it. Um, there's times when it's, there's a lot happening. It's the middle of the season. It's before the transfer window. It's, there's a lot going on. There's times where it's like, yep, it's the holiday break. <laughs> Nothing really to report. But that is not the case this month because we are following up from our July renewal season. We've got a bunch of news there. Um, looking through all the sort of news that has been happening, it seemed like there was this this real theme of property catastrophe news happening. Um, across that category, I think one of the trends that we've been seeing is a little bit of a reduction in interest in this space. Um, most recently, TMK announcing that they were going to pull out of um, – Treaty reinsurance in in uh, property cat- catastrophe specifically, um, that will sort of resonate quite a lot. Because this isn't the only player who's done this. No, you're right. I think it's something we've seen several times now across the market. I know some London market traditionalists were more alarmed by this one on the basis that uh, Kiln allegedly wrote the book on on reinsurance. Mm-hmm. So for them to be pulling out is really a, a sign of a big change. But of course, we also saw. Uh, Axis re probably most famously, you know, trying to first sell their reinsurance business, but then it ultimately just close it down. We saw Axa XL radically cutting the amount of reinsurance business that it was doing. Uh, again and again, we're seeing uh, indicators both from the way people are handling their own businesses to comments in the press around renewal seasons saying that property catastrophe focused renewals are getting harder and harder and capacity is becoming thinner and thinner on the ground. Mm. Uh, despite, you know, I think 15% rate rises that we saw in July, it's still been one of the toughest markets to place business in for recent memory. Yeah. Well, yeah, and when you look at the sort of undulating nature of cycles in reinsurance, not not within a renewal season, but sort of extended over, over years, you've seen this before, you know, capacity sort of drying up, rates hardening, and the combination of those two things opening up opportunities for people to be interested again and going, well, the rates are quite good here. Capacity's leaving. We can come in with, you know, none of the legacy losses paying out, none of the sort of pain from sort of previous high high loss years. It, it feels inevitable that you'll get an injection of new sources of cat- catastrophe capital, um, catastrophe capacity. So... We'll wait and see, but I think it, th- these continue to show that the next couple of renewal seasons for cat exposures, one one uh, particularly might be might be difficult again. Indeed, and, and there's lots of sort of sub news stories to this thematic one that could be headwinds or tailwinds for the future of the space. You've mm-hmm. got, on the one hand, you know, climate change is being felt yep. <laughs> very strongly. You know, we've had I uh, here in the UK, but in in, in Europe, in the, the US, you know, some of the driest and droughtiest and hottest conditions we've experienced 
uh, for you know decades. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, records being broken, like the the forty degrees that we posted mm. uh, in the UK a, a few well, just over a month ago. I uh, similarly against that sort of climate change conversation, we're also in a very uh, inflationary environment across most of the world where as a result of that interest rates are starting to pick up and mm -hmm. the interesting part of that dynamic is that a lot of capacity that has been directed towards the property catastrophe space historically through the form of collateralized reinsurance ILS etc mm -hmm. uh, has come from a sort of non-industry capital that's looking for some kind of return in a really low interest rate environment will that capacity start to drift away when interest rates pick up and against a background of a much more visibly and, and sort of socially experienced fear of increasing catastrophe frequency quite possibly yeah yeah i think um especially when you look at the the increase in wildfires in california the exposure to that in the uk we had some massive fires in sort of suburbs of london um just because the parks were really dry and someone was having a, a little, these little miniature barbecues that we'll have um, that lit a huge area of, of the city on fire. Um, but those are one-offs. But when you look at sort of the larger sort of fire exposures in sort of California being the predominant one, there seems to be a gap in the modeling abilities there. When you, when you think about, again, historically traditional cat would be hurricanes and earthquakes. Um, and, and we've built models for a couple decades now that really help us understand that. There's one piece of news that came out here um, that Aon and the U University of California collaborating on sort of wildfire modeling in attempt to kind of go, this is not as accurate currently as what, what we have with, with quake modeling and, and hurricane and tsunami modeling and things. Um, but really leaning into if we want to improve our ability to understand risk, which is, a, which is critical to having sufficient capacity to, to attract people, that this is something that needs to, to be brought into, into the fore. So it's just, it's just this collaboration of where are the, the academics who are doing the, a lot of work on this and how can we leverage what they, what they know, what they're learning to help build out a better predictive analytics for, for our clients. Absolutely. And I think particularly in, in Europe as well, we're starting to see a push for this. So you mentioned you know, in California, obviously, wildfire has been... Mm a big enough topic now for a while to get more investment in terms of research, et cetera. But now Europe is experiencing wildfires like never before. I, similarly, the dry conditions are exacerbating flooding. Mm -hmm. I, droughts, again, affecting food production quite heavily, particularly in an already high food price environment and in a situation with the Russia-Ukraine war, meaning that food supplies from those regions are inaccessible. I. So all of these things going on at once is actually creating quite serious new perils, which are not typically modelled uh, in the European region, especially. I think you know you, you, we've talked a lot about agriculture risks and you know uh, micro insurance initiatives in regions that are very intensive food producers mm. in the past, but for those to become more loss heavy uh, in in sort of the Europe and, and, and UK region, I think for us sat here is quite quite worrying. I and, and we need the industry to respond quite yeah. quite quickly to that with these kind of initiatives. One one little thing I saw I uh, recently that was a, an additional shock here. Things you don't think about, you know, as climate change ticks up, is a uh, business interruption 
risks relating from rivers drying up. So the Rhine in Germany, you know, one of the biggest expressways for trade historically through the country, uh, has at some points now gotten so shallow that the boats that normally carry through a huge number of goods day in, day out, uh, having to go with half loads so that they're not scraping along the bottom and with no heavy sort of <laughs> re uh, plenishing of the water in that riverway mm. seeing they're, they're worried that it's going to get to the point where they just can't send ships down it anymore yeah. uh, which is a, a massive climate induced risk for trade and business interruption that yeah. nobody's priced before. Yeah well in in an, one of our very early episodes we talked a lot about sort of the interconnectivity of of the insurance ecosystem and, and the risks and things I think you've you've outlined that perfectly you have what would seem as oh this is getting drier but that actually makes it flood risk higher so you have a combination of both wildfire risk being very very high and when you have a storm following that the the ground has gotten so hard that it doesn't absorb water very quickly so now flash flooding risks it very high in a combination of that it stretches into potential impacts on travel and commerce and and business interruption cancellation policies all of these things even if like event cancellation if if areas can't support you know there's all these things that can tuck into the sort of knock-on effects of just climate change in general and it's becoming very difficult to rise. I think there's this increased effort to better understand analytics and, and capture data to help people understand this but you're seeing why it's so important because it's almost like trying to understand like a, an economic model right where Yes, but if you if you shift this one thing, all these other things knock on, right? This is the exact same thing that we're having here, where, but we're trying to price it from a risk perspective, which makes it very very complicated. Um, the, the the end result is we will always need people who are willing to take on the risk for a price and trying to find the the economic model that allows that price to be sufficiently f feasible for the buyer. Um, I think this was one of the concerns that uh, when we spoke to Paula Jozobkowski of uh, the London, uh, sorry, the Cass Business School, I back in the day there was there was that uh, risk effectively that the industry just walks away from mm -hmm. catastrophic perils because it can't collectively find a way to handle them. Yeah. So that that is a concern. Do you think there's um? Do you think there's that concern is beginning to to emerge? Well. Like, but partially, and I think what's interesting, another news item that came up uh, in the last couple of weeks has been the London Bridge 2 initiative. So whilst we see some capital going away, uh, there are efforts underway to make it much easier to bring capital into the market and not just for more standard sort of uh, hit or bust uh, yeah. sort of binary cat deals, but trying to make it easier for collateralized uh, reinsurance to come into the market so effectively what this is uh, is an extension or an expansion of, of what regulatory uh, frameworks allowed uh, protected cell companies so kind of special purpose vehicles with a variety of places to put your money mm -hmm. <laughs> in case it needs to be used for a claim um, and that vehicle has been expanded from initially just quota shares so it used to be at a point where you can back a Lloyd syndicate uh, so you had uh, Canada, the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan and those sort of organizations being able to say, right, we'll put all of this collateralized uh, funds at Lloyd's in a, a big quota shared uh, special purpose vehicle yeah. in order for us to back a syndicate. 
that's great. That's a really strong start. But what this London Bridge 2 is going to enable is more traditional excess of loss contracts and so on to be backed up with a an, an external to the market kind of collateralized capacity. So yeah. if, if even though on one hand, as we said, we've got the capital potentially drifting as interest rates draw uh, attentions elsewhere, at the same time, there's going to be this opening up of quite a lot of opportunities for uh, external capital to to get involved uh, in the London market in particular in a more transparent way. Yeah, I, th- I, I think there's certainly the feeling anyway of we need to as a business and Lloyd's maybe as an, as an entity to how do we ensure that this doesn't happen, that it doesn't dry up, that the industry doesn't kind of go, well... We tried that for a while. We did a lot. We know when the times were good, it made sense, but it doesn't work anymore. And, and walking away, as, as you said, was one of the concerns that Paula had outlined. Um, I think this is one of the first sort of signals of like, okay, how do we make how do we make a vehicle that's attractive enough for pools of capital globally, which there are huge amounts of from the capital markets? How do we build mechaniz- mechanisms that allow them to deploy that capital into our industry in a way that makes economic sense for them but also is is attractive enough with you know the ease of access and and everything else so this being one of the first which i think is a, a really good signal and could hopefully reinstill london sort of reinsurance position there um but yeah if if the trends continue people walking away from this class at a certain point and you saw this a bit in one one which was one of which was one of the takeaways that people started just buying less um even though they would prefer not to have bought less, but the prices just didn't make sense for them. At a certain point, you know, some some things will have to bend there or break there. And speaking of, of buying less, I guess one of the everyone's favorite insurtech everyone's mascot favorite. has been buying less, as I understand it as well. I, I don't know if you have yeah. any more on that story. Um, I, what is the update that you have on that one? <laughs> so basically, and then check this out at home if you haven't seen it already. But I really interesting dynamics in the insurtech space because on the one hand just in as part of a general crippling of valuations for sort of uh, full stack insurtechs mm. uh, as as the market has turned on on technology startups in general i in at the same time as that we've seen lemonade who mm-hmm. traditionally you know was was famous for delivering an enormous return to its uh, investors and sort of like less of a good return to the reinsurers that it was using who were paying yeah. all of its claims um, they are actually now buying less reinsurance than they were before oh, yeah, yeah. as well which is oh, they said ascot no okay. <laughs> lemonade no lemonade Sorry, yeah so so le- lemonade <laughs> yeah so lemonade historically bought um, quota share reinsurance, as you were saying, it's like the the entrance way into the reinsurance market, um, and I think it was a seventy five percent quota share that they that they originally bought, um, but they had also had a stop loss on top of that. So one of the one of the challenges that the reinsurers had always had was that Lemonade was seeding like seventy some percent of premiums, but like eighty five ninety percent of claims because the stop loss that sat there. Yeah. Um, they've been dialing down the quota share um, more recently to reduce um, that amount there, but they're trying to buy Cat XOL now on or Cat on an XOL basis now. So trying to calibrate a little bit as their quota share comes down. I think they're realizing that not paying claims isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're having to sort of top that up now with a cat XOL it looks like. So 
an interesting an interesting shift in in their style, which again I think is them trying to calibrate the most effective way to buy reinsurance. But the the capital reserves they have are are less a bit less. And and I, fa- I figured out what happened. I, I called Lemonade Insurtech's favorite mascot. Ah, oh, so nothing to do with that, Scott. That makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to work on my my diction. Today. No, it's it's fine. Um, but it'd be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, following this, what the other big full stack U.S. insure techs do. Um, we've we've followed closely, sort of the hippos and kins and the rest of them. So, I think Lemonade has always been a bit of the first mover on this and moving stuff forward. Um, so shifting in this way, I think will be one that we can follow to see what, what the others do in, in response. But, um, yeah, so that is, that is the cat themed update for August news cycle. So we shall see what September brings. I almost did like a meow noise, (laughs) cat standing for (laughs) catastrophe, but I won't debase myself to that. Um, yes. And very exciting. Of course, we do have Monte Carlo coming up. Yep. Uh, in early September, so before our next news roundup, I'm sure we'll have loads to talk about then. Mm-hmm. And if you're going along to Monte Carlo, you'll see some of us there as well. So yeah. do drop us a message if you want to catch up. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>